This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders. Was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Chris Baines, welcome to the Career Musician Podcast. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. We have some mutual friends, and we've never met. So it's really nice to meet new people that we know from pre-existing people. Absolutely. It's amazing, this town, too. So many musicians, so many great players. You think you know everybody, and then you but can't know everybody. It's impossible. That is great about being in L.A. or any big music town, for that matter, because I always say that your net worth is directly related to your network, right? Absolutely. There's endless possibilities, which is a good thing. Yeah, I know. Anytime through my career, there have been moments when I wasn't super happy with the situation I was in. But I was always like, there's so many different groups of players that sort of do gigs. And it's, you know what? Get out, go to the clubs. There's always other people doing other stuff. And again, you like you said, you don't have that in all towns. And I love that, man. I love how we're just starting right into it because so many people ask, how do I get started in music? I really want to do this. I have a passion, but it's all about what you just said, getting out there and just mingling just doing it meeting people yeah yeah and it's it's horrible if it's not if it doesn't come naturally to you I, i'm not like necessarily that guy I, when i first moved to town i just felt like a vacuum cleaner salesman will you listen to my demo will you take my business card will you please just not make me feel any more awkward than i do right now walking up to a stranger and trying to explain who i am <laughs> but it works you do that every night of the week and within two weeks you start running into the same people and you start, people know who you are. Oh, you're that new guy. And you'll be the new guy for 10 years, but it all starts somewhere. <laughs> That's absolutely right. I remember when I first moved here in 2005, very similar, but I made it a point every morning to go down to my little local coffee shop and email and call people that I knew every yeah. single day. And then, like you said, at night, I would go out. So that's the key. When did you move to L.A. and get started as the new guy? I moved in 2000. Okay. I can't believe it's 22 years and we have not met each other. That's crazy. I know. (laughs) It's pretty crazy, too, because you happen to have been the musical director on one of my dream gigs, too. I wish that I had met you. (laughs) <laughs> i wish i would have met you then <laughs> yeah you know how many times we needed a bass player in the bass oh, man. band <laughs> oh man don't even tell me that i'll get sad but yeah yeah actually i have a i don't know if i should just tell it now but i have a baby face was it was a great i have a good story about a lesson learned when i first moved here because probably the first year that i got here might have been the second year i don't know but my friend calls me up and he's hey we got to go to this benefit show and it's for this drummer rayford griffin and he had fallen off a stage somewhere i don't know do you know rayford yeah absolutely yeah. and and his back was all messed up but this was the first time he was back and they were doing a benefit and it was seku bunch and stanley clark played and smitty from the tonight show and just everett harp and just everybody was there in the little theater over at mi and i'm brand new and i'm just like i cannot believe i'm in a room with all these people and then Babyface got up to speak because they go way back, like to childhood. And I was like, oh my God, like there he is, my hero. This is what I want to do. This is who I want to be playing with. And so after the whole thing gets done, it's just a mingle at that point. It's just musicians. And I'm like, that's the most amazing thing is like about LA as well. You have access to all these people that I'm a guy from Broomfield, Colorado. You'd never see anybody famous ever or popular or any of your heroes. You just... You're never going to meet them there. This is never going to happen. Out here, they're having lunch at the table next to you. So here I am in this room with all these people, and there's a little side room, and then, and I see Babyface, and he's getting his stuff together, and right behind him is Everett Harp, who I'd met before. And I have my demo in my pocket, and I go up, and I'm like, here's my moment. And I think 
I actually said, oh my God, your baby face. And I just blew that. I didn't even, I was so stunned that I was just like, oh God, this is just, and I, and, and this was January, by the way, in LA, January, everything shuts down. So yeah. I've been, I, it was actually, it was 2001. January. So I had been here for since October of the year before, a few months in, and I'm already meeting these guys. And I had played a few gigs, but I'm just like, and now it's January and nothing's happening. So I'm broke. I'm selling bases to pay the rent. And and I get my big chance. So I go to bed that night and I just it took me about three days to just start talking to myself, being like, dude, if this is how you're gonna blow it every time, you're never gonna make it. You might as well just go home. This is the what you came here to do. That's just a dude. He sings, he needs a bass player. And instead of being a professional and giving your thing, you turn into fanboy from small town and blew it. And it was, it was funny because Everett Harper was standing right behind him. But as a saxophone player, I just felt like I had more and more in common with him. He wasn't as intimidating because he's a musician. I'm a musician. I was like, oh, I just, I, but Babyface was just the star. And I, I just, I blew it. I did, not that I would have ever have gotten to his band anyways, but it was just a lesson in keep your stuff together, man. Like you, this is the real deal. It's the big show. You, got, you can't fold. Man, that's so true. And <laughs> we're going to have to park there and unpack some of this beautiful, these beautiful wisdom nuggets. You really laid some things down there. So number one, it's so funny that you say that. Of course, I have the unfair advantage because I worked with him for 12 years, right? So I know him personally. However, that's for that scenario. But in the generalized scenario of the context in which you're talking, I believe there, and obviously you and I both know now after living plenty and getting gaining the experience there's some great there's some great principles here at play number one like you said don't fan out right you can't be right. a fan you have to remember and this is great advice for any aspiring musicians coming out to LA or any big town Nashville New York yeah. don't fan out and you have to view everybody as an equal because otherwise when you put yourself down they can sense that and now you're coming at a disadvantage because you're disadvantaging yourself. You're sabotaging yourself, right? Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. And the, and fight, like, the second thing that, sorry, the second thing you said is that you felt a little more akin toward Everett because he's a sax player. By the way, I know Everett really well too. I worked with him for a little bit. Um, right, and, cool. and sweetheart of a guy. But Kenny, babyface, is also a musician. And here's the funny part. He started as a musician first. He started as a guitar player and then a little bit of piano, a little bit of bass. And then he evolved into this mega writing producer guy that he is. You know? Yeah. And here he is at the benefit for his friend who's a drummer. Like it was the most That's you know, why, simple, non-stardom moment ever and i blew it but it's okay but but that's exactly why he was there for rayford griffin because he knows what it's like to be a musician he's done right. several of those kind of things for me as well and it's just it's so important that i think people understand that because now we shine such a big light on fame and yeah. popularity wins but that's not the that's not the end game no not at all like yeah, I still, and I think also it's about joy being a fan. Like I'm a fan of music. I was a fan of Chicago since the day I was born and I still have those feelings, but it's about learning how to deal with that and not letting that influence the decisions that you make and not letting it intimidate. It took me a good, still two weeks to to talk to Robert Lamb, and but still, but I still played the show really well. I still was there when I needed to be there. All so. right, let's go through that now because I'm so glad you let the cat out of the bag. So you got the gig with Chicago, the band, like the original Chicago. And for the young cats listening who don't know, learn, go Google it. <laughs> because yeah. If you don't know Chicago, then you, you know you need to reconsider being a music. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you're absolutely right. That is like such a such wow such a what do you a legendary right a legacy yeah. is what we call them right exactly right? So how did that all transpire how did it all go down please tell us the i got a call i actually got a text from wally and oh, yeah. yeah he's the drummer and they were looking to make a, a change in the bass situation and i was playing with Dwight Yoakam at the time and another great gig. It was very, it's a tricky moment in time because, but Dwight's starting to slow down with the work a little bit. And I'm also not really a country 
guy. I did it for five years, and it's not. I enjoyed it very much. He's a phenomenal singer, songwriter. Got a lot out of the gig, and amazing. But when someone calls and says, "Do you want to be in Chicago?" For me, it was like, "Yeah, I want to be in Chicago." But it was a. But anyway, uh, so Wally had been looking around town, and there's not a lot of singing bass players, believe it or not. It is it is a big town with a lot of players, but I can sing and play bass. And that's, there's not a, a lot of us, weirdly enough. And so my name got thrown in the hat and by Mike O'Neill. Do you know Mike O'Neill? He's uh, a another, guitar player. Uh, another guitar player. Yes, I love yeah. Mike O'Neill. Yeah, great guy. Yeah, and he's played with George Benson forever. And he used to play with Greg Karukas, who's a smooth jazz piano player. It's one of my first gigs when I got to town. So I knew Mike, which is another... Great lesson. Like I knew Mike, I probably haven't talked to him in 15 years, but Wally calls him up and says, I need a bass player who can sing. And he was, he gave him two names and mine was one of them. And so it's, you never know. That's another thing I always say about this town. It's the reason you live here and you put up with the traffic and you put up with all this stuff is because the phone can ring or the text can buzz nowadays at any given time in your whole life can change and it can come out of the blue. Like again, 15 years ago, I didn't burn a bridge. I did all the kinds of networking things. And anyways, I'm rambling. Sorry. Oh, that's great. That's such important information that needs to be highlighted because yes, all those things are man. Yeah. So true. Yeah. So out of the, out of the blue, I get a text and it was one of those things where exactly that happened. I looked at my text and my whole body just got chills and I'm like, we're about to go through a major change right now. I just knew in an instant that this was my future. And I think that's one of the skills that you have to acquire also is you got to know when to jump and when you got to take a chance. Cause I'm getting, I'm in a really good gig. It's slowed down a little bit, but it's very stable. It's very good money. It's very awesome. It's yes, it's Chicago, but I'm, it's always a chance when you're switching camps. Ooh, that almost rhymed. That was some Johnny Cochran stuff right there, I think. But anyway, uh, so anyway, I just knew, but my whole body just knew it was a weird thing. And it all happened super fast, which it usually does too, which is another lesson. I've had people in my life that are like, man, I really want to get on the road. And okay, I'll call you when, when the time comes. And I call and they're like, oh man, well, I can't leave Friday. I've got all these gigs. And this is what it is. Phone rings and you got to go. And by the way, here's 48 songs that you have to learn by tomorrow. Oh, man. I had five days to learn two over two hours of Chicago music. And if you haven't Googled it yet, it's a lot of chords, lyrics and backup background vocals. And wow. uh, now, OK, so that's a great another great question. Do, which vocal part are you assigned to? Do you have a steady part or do you float between parts? At first, I had a steady part. But we're still going through a lot with the COVID situation and people getting sick. And so it, immediately when we got into the summer, Lauren Gold is the key keyboard player. You probably know him as well. And he got sick. So I started singing. He sings lead on two songs. Let me go back a little, I guess. Chicago now has a lead singer. It's a, This is why I never even had Chicago on my radar because, yes, I'm a singer. Yes, I play bass. But I don't sing like Peter Cetera. I don't have those super high notes. Who oh, does? That's a rare exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or Jason Chef for that matter. So I was like, it would be a dream gig, but it'll never come up. So when the call comes, now they have a lead singer who's incredible and just sings exactly all those people. He's got a million voices and range for days. So his name's Neil Donnell and he's just, he's uh, Canadian and he's phenomenal. So when they, I was, it was stressed that, you're, we need a backup singing bass, bass player. You're going to be a backup singer. Don't try to come in and you're not going to be Peter Cetera. And I'm just like, great, good for me. Let's do this. But as soon as I got there, then Lauren got sick. Oh, can you sing these two leads? Okay, sure. Then Lauren came back. Then Robert got sick. So can you sing some of these leads? And so now, and then Lauren also plays with the Who. So he's going to be out for the next month. So I'm going to take over his vocal parts again. So it's turned out to be some nights I'm just a backup singer. Some nights I'm singing songs. And it's been a lot of fun in that sense. It's a lot of pressure. But Dude, at the same time. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty great. <laughs> that's nuts man so you not only got the rhythm section gig as the bass player but 
you're a freaking lead singer in Chicago. Dude, that's so arbitrary. Like how like, yeah, it came out of nowhere. It's unbelievable. It's just never, I never would have guessed it. And I'm a pretty big dreamer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are as musicians, right? Yeah. That, yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So uh, let's talk about that because I would have definitely been prepared to sing backgrounds and play guitar, but singing lead when they when they're scanning the green room of the band and they say oh no no yes i would have been like hell no <laughs> How did, did you volunteer talk about that one of wally knew i was a singer and then when i got the gig he wanted me to before i got the gig he's like can you make a a, a video of you singing so i videoed me singing just you and me like the first verse up to the chorus and then i made a video of me doing the bill champlin part on hard habit to break which is really my wheelhouse that's where i sit as a lead singer anyways so i picked the stuff that i could do and so wally always was on my back had my back in, in that sense I, you could call it pressure you could call it having my back i don't know i'm like <laughs> i'm cool with just being a background guy but while he was in their ear being like eric's a great singer he's a great singer just and then literally when robert got sick i had one day to learn the lyrics and stuff i was just i got up at nine in the morning in my hotel room just going over the lyrics because i'm not really great at learning lyrics that's not my thing plus when you're playing an instrument like bass especially i'm playing lines as well as trying to learn lyrics and sing the melody correctly. So it's a lot and it takes me time. I'm not super fast at that, but when you're under the gun, it's amazing what you can pull off. <laughs> you know? That's a good point when the pressure's on and you really need to step up to the plate. It is amazing yeah. that how you can rally, right? Yeah, exactly. When you have to. <laughs> now, okay. So you're on the road, you wake mm -hmm. up early that morning and you're, how many songs did you have to learn that day? That day I had to learn two. I had to learn one verse of a particular, of I'm a man. And then I had to learn the Robert part, which is a duet in dialogue, okay. which is a, it's on the first record, I believe. And you had um, to perform them that night? That night, yeah. Yeah. So it was a lot of, it was intense. And I won't, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. And then my mom was there. It was like a, a show near my mom. So she wants to, hey, we're gonna do lunch, right? And I'm like, we're not doing anything. <laughs> I gotta have to sit with this. And it, you know, it, and it was the first time I was doing it. I had done Hard Habit to Break before, but that was, it was, I knew that song so well because I just was a fan of, that's like the 80s ballad where when I was growing up, that was a hit song. I, I could sing that any day of the week just because I already knew it so well. Dialogue, I had never really heard it before I got in the band. So that one was just like, so I was nervous, but I was not super nervous. They knew I could sing. And when you're coming in and you're saving the day, it's like, you don't really have much choice, guys. Even if I blow it, at least someone's singing the song. But I never want to suck. Just, I, I just never, especially at that level. Honestly, ever, I think that's another lesson about meeting Mike O'Neill and playing with him years ago is if you got to take every gig seriously, whether it's a bar in Monrovia or Cafe Cordiel, which was a musician hang here in town, but it was a restaurant. Right. You just, no matter where you're playing, if it's in public and nowadays with YouTube, everything is online all the time. You just can't afford to have a bad night. So in general, I just don't want to ever do that. Yeah. Absolutely. So throughout your prep period as a musician, when you were practicing and studying coming up, did you know you were a singer from the get? Were you always working on vocals or was this a later? Yes. Yeah. I have my own records out. Ultimately, when I started my career, I wanted to be a star. Yeah. No, I wanted to be the lead singer and that I write songs and compose and all that stuff. So I, that was really the original plan. But after leading a band for years in Denver, where I'm from, before I moved out here, I just got to the point where I was like, I just want to go play my bass, make the money and go home. This is just burned out on band leader stuff. So over the years, I've just kept writing songs and putting out my own stuff. As I always wanted it to be more of a hobby, but at this point on paper, it's probably just a hobby. But it's also a good showcase. But I, but to answer your question, yeah, I was always a singer and I was a singer first, really. I'm only a bass player because nobody else in my high school wanted to do it. 
and I got good at it. And then when it came time to go to college, to go to Berkeley, I was like, the only thing I could read really well on was bass. So I thought I was going to give myself the biggest advantage because I didn't want to practice because I didn't really like playing bass. So I learned to read so I could just go to class and read and just, I wouldn't take it home. I'd go home and I'd play piano and I'd play guitar and I'd play drums. I was a singing drummer for a long time in high school and whatever. But so when it came time to go to college, the thing that I could really, I was the most proficient on was bass. Uh, and in, for a long time, that bummed me out. <laughs> but yeah. now that I'm older and I've had, it's given me a career. And then, like I said, being a singing bass player is still a really good thing. Yeah. No matter what you play, if you can sing, it's just, it's another, it's, it's one less person anybody has to pay in the band. That's right. And if you can sing well, then yeah, that's definitely a coveted role. Absolutely. Because in, in touring, the name of the game is budget. Got to right. save money, like you said, because otherwise they'd have to bring another singer, which means another salary, another set of flights, another hotel yeah. room, another per diem. It's like, hey, yeah, it, it adds it, up fast. It does. It really does. Now, the reason why I'm asking about these different aspects of your career and what you do and your talents and how you utilize those skill sets is because I'm a huge proponent of putting together a plan and really analyzing your strengths and weaknesses on kind of a, a, an evolutionary process ongoing, but also especially in the beginning. And here's why, because of what you said, you wanted to be a star, you wanted to be a singer. And I totally empathize with that, identify with that, relate to that. And I'm sure so many musicians can, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's so many of us who have other talents and we figured out, oh, we can subsidize our hobby of being a, an artist by going and working for other people as the side person. Again, what I'm trying to teach the younger generation is if you could really be 100% clear and honest about it early on and be honest with yourself and then pursue that, but just pursue it wholeheartedly, I think you're going to have a better chance than if you just do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of that. Don't you agree? Uh. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash Pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash Pantheon. Dude, like when I came to LA, I literally made a choice of in Denver, it's a smaller town, but I did sessions. I did live stuff. When I got to LA, I was like, what do I really want to do? Because it's going to take me just as much energy to get into the session scene as it is to get in the live touring scene. And I'm just not a guy who wants to be in a dark room all day long. I love travel. If I don't have enough hotels, like in a month, I start to freak out. Like I'm a touring guy. That's what I love. And I love to write music. I love, I produce a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm, I love doing all that. At that age, nowadays, now, you know, especially having a kid, like now the idea of sitting at home doing sessions all day sounds a little bit better, but, but I still love it. And I just knew, just like you said, it's like, I need to make a choice because it's going to take all my energy 
to get as a new guy in LA with, I only knew one person. You probably, you probably know him. His name's Mel Brown. Oh, absolutely. Base, yeah. Base player. yeah. Another guy from Denver. He had moved out before I did. And so that's the only person I knew coming out here. And so I knew that I need to focus just like you said. And what's my best foot forward is playing bass and singing. Well, that, and, and so that takes a lot of introspection. And like I said, honesty with yourself, because, oh man. but I think well, it's better to be honest early than when you're older and then be like really disappointed and bitter. I'm telling you, that's probably the hardest thing for anybody. I've been known to be one of my nicknames is the dream crusher, because if you want my advice <laughs> and you, I think that's just like you said, the most important thing you could possibly be is honest with yourself and look in the mirror and say, what do I do good? And it's hard and not everybody can do it, honestly, because at the same time, I wasn't the bass player that I am now when I moved out here, but I, my confidence got me into a lot of gigs. And so you do have to have a bit of an ego and you, you do need to fake it till you make it. I don't love that phrase. It's true, but not as much as people think. You can't just say, I'm a bass player and show up and suck. You will not keep working. That's right. And so the, you word, gotta, the word travels faster when oh, it's man. negative, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. For sure. And so it's a balance, I think, for sure. But the, yeah, absolutely. The honesty, but also just looking at it like a vocation versus how do I even put that? This is a, it's a skill set. It's a, you're starting a business. This is a very right. practical situation. Can you play it? Can you play? And the other thing is when you get to LA or any big town, I'm assuming I, I've only moved to LA and so I can only speak to my own experience. But if you say you can do something and you're a decent person and a nice guy and you if someone wants to, their phone will ring. And if you can't do that, something it's going to be bad. And either on a lot of levels, like I remember I, when I first got out here, I was playing, I can't, no, I don't even exactly remember where I got the hookup, but Susan Dubois used to be, she used to own a company. The company still exists, but she doesn't, she's not around anymore, but entertainment, right? Yeah. So I get a call cause I, I played weddings in Denver and stuff. And can you read? Yes, sure. I'm a decent reader at that time. I think. I'm not really. I am for certain things. You give me a lead sheet and some chords, then yeah, great. That's easy. Yeah, anyway. yeah. But I said yes. And it was Chuck Wansley. He's this great singer. He did a lot of the weddings. He's Dubois is one of his her biggest guys, bands and stuff. And it's a big band. And Johnny Friday's on drums. And who else is that? It was funny because, and I'm going to ramble a little bit, but do you edit all this stuff, by the way? Or is this just... It's, I used to, but then I realized... Fuck it. Yeah. We're having a conversation. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> totally. Okay, cool. I'll try to keep the rambling down. But before no, I left no, Denver... Hey, if anybody's listening, whoever's listening, <laughs> pay attention to all this because these are seriously great insights. Sorry. Thank you. But before I left Denver, I, I went and saw Lionel Richie and opened up for Tina Turner. It was like the at the Pepsi Center. Now it's the Ball Arena, but it was like the first show there. It was like it had just opened, and it was really fun and great. And Lionel Richie, another hero of mine. So I get out to LA, and it was like the first casual they call them out here, like a wedding or a corporate party or whatever. Three guys that were in the band are on the bandstand with me, and it was like really fast realizing, oh, this I did the right thing. First of all, I made the right move because now here I am doing it, and these guys are playing weddings, and I have those skills. So I thought, which I, I did, but this particular band, big band, lots of horns, do big band music, yeah. and I and Chuck, I talked to him on the phone. He's do you know a lot of songs? And yeah, I know a lot of songs. Not realizing another thing about it. It's like every town you go to has its own vocabulary. Mm -hmm. So I knew a lot of Denver songs, but they didn't translate necessarily over here. Wow. He's like, can you read? I'm like, yeah, sure. Okay. You play what you know and you read what you don't. Sounds simple. <laughs> Until they throw Famous a big... last words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they throw a till they threw a big band chart in front of me with no chord symbols at all, just dots on a page, walking bass lines the whole time. And I was like, and it's Johnny Friday on drums, who's nice guy when he likes you. Philadelphia energy. If you're screwing up, you know, he's gonna be throwing sticks at you and stuff. And oh man, it was just 
it was shocking to me, to the system. It was like, okay, it was another one of those lessons. Okay. If you're going to say you do this, you're going to have to get better at reading. And the hard part about getting better at reading is it's not an easy thing to do in your house. You can need that kind of pressure. You know what I mean? So there's what I'm saying. Like I was cocky enough to say yes and get on that gig, but I wasn't quite ready for it. But at the same time, I don't know how I would have gotten ready without being cocky enough to get on that gig. But after the gig was over, I knew, okay, I got to do something. I'm going to go home and read everything I can as much as I possibly can. Cause I, I had to do it the next night. And so anyway, it was pressure and it was crazy and it was awful, but you do that for long enough and you become a better reader when you have to, like we were saying before, if you have to, you're going to do it. But I had to have the, it was another thing that I like to say too, that every, it's not something I made up, but get out of your comfort zone. If you're feeling awkward all the time and under pressure and awful, then you're probably doing the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Oh my gosh. I love that. That's <laughs> perfect. It's when you say that you had to have the confidence to get the gig, but then you realized, oh shit, I better really step up. It's what comes first, the credit card or the credit. The creditors, when you're 18, they say, well, you don't have any credit. How can I build credit if I don't have a credit card or a loan to get a car? Oh, we can't give you the loan. Okay, so what am I supposed to do? It's this. Yeah, thing. exactly. So how did you get through that night and how did Friday react to you? I think luckily, maybe luckily, I don't know. I'm a, How do I say this without sounding cocky? You know, I, don't know. I think I'm a pretty funky bass player. Like I have a good feel and that'll take you a long ways. Yeah. As long as you can sit in the pocket, even if you're playing some wrong notes, it'll get you a long way. So in those moments, I just read the best I could and I wasn't, I'm sure guys would have failed worse than I did, but I'm also extremely hard on myself. So every wrong note that clicks by, I'm just feeling worse and worse about myself. Do they perceive that? out in the audience? Definitely not. Do they perceive that all around the band? Maybe sometimes, maybe not all those wrong notes. Sometimes they hear them in their mind. But as long as you're playing those quarter notes in the pocket, that's going to go a long way. And as long as that, those people keep dancing. If you knew, I knew how to get through a wedding. So just use what you can and focus, focus, focus. And right. just, and it just, I don't know. It's just one of those moments when you're like, you're screwing up. But you just push on through. You know what I mean? Just you, you can't let it get to your brain. You just got to keep going because you got three more hours of this torture. You rely on instinct. You, that's what it is. You just have yeah. It. And your ears. They say read with your ears because that's another thing. When you get into these situations too, it's not everything looks like a perfectly printed chart. So sometimes just the book of charts that you're pulling out put you at a disadvantage because they, they're not good. But those guys have been reading them so long that they know the code in those little charts. And, and I think that charts in general have gotten better because now everyone uses computers to make them. And it's not chicken scratch generally. But if you, it's maddening to me, like now that I was a musical director for Keiko Matsui for 12 years to making all of her charts and like the, I, it's I, I, my job as a chart writer, in my opinion, is to make is to communicate this music as quickly and effectively as I possibly can. It's not to fit every little last note of something and not to show off how I know how repeats and second and third, fourth endings work. It's to make this as clear as I can. So this guy doesn't screw up my gig, right. but not everybody thinks that, or not everybody has those skills or they care enough. I don't know. There's probably, there's a million scenarios, but not all charts are good. I totally agree. There's something about the sections, the codas, the DSs and all that stuff that if it's not mapped out properly, you're asking for a train wreck. Yeah, man. I, there's a chart in this book that I play with this band sometimes and it literally, it's a Mark Anthony song actually. And so already it's crazy and it's the salsa stuff. And then you turn the page for one bar and it's a repeat back to the other page and you're like, Really? Did you just do that to me? Honestly, I need both hands to play this instrument anyways. Squeeze in nine bars on the last stab of the paper. <laughs> exactly. It's, oh, it's maddening to me sometimes, but you can't always blame the chart either. That's part yeah. of your job though. So I don't know. There's some good jokes back there. Cause how do you get a musician to complain? 
<laughs> yeah, you give, give him a gig. Him a gig. You get him to complain more. You tell him there's a mandatory rehearsal, right? Oh God. How or a sound check. How do you get him to complain again? You tell him there's a dress code. <laughs> <laughs> how do you get him to complain even more? You tell him you're gonna feed him, but there's only a certain kind of food available. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. It's like the old thing. Yeah. Musicians are never happy. It's so funny. So right. going back to what you said, this is not only a vocation, it's a business, hence the career musician. And I think so many people forget that because let's face it, most of us who start in music, we start young. And when you're young and you're developing a talent, you don't know anything about business, nor do you care. No. And it takes all hands on deck just to really cultivate that talent. So we sit in our rooms and all we're doing is, oh, sorry, I bumped the mic. Mm -hmm. Isolated practice. So we're lacking social skills, right? Yeah. And we're also lacking the collegiate academic for the most part, of course, unless you go to college and take business. But for those who don't, like I didn't go to college, I dropped out of college, but I didn't take- So did I, so did I. Okay, good. I don't feel- <laughs> If you don't take those courses, you know what? So now you're literally on your own and you have to figure it out. And it's either do or die. So there's going to be the people that- can figure it out and make it and the people that just can't we all know those musicians who aren't who aren't successful because of their own inability or their own unwillingness to learn and improve upon those areas which need attention yeah yeah it also doesn't seem to be Maybe it is. I don't know. But when I was growing up, it was like you wanted to be the most versatile musician that you possibly could i don't want to be the one trick pony this is oh i don't do that then you don't get those gigs you don't work that's right. yeah yeah the more things you can do the more gigs you're going to get and i don't know if that's necessarily the way anymore I, I'm not, I don't think so yeah no but yeah i agree with all that it's really hard i mean on the one hand it's interesting because because it is such an open, it is the old West, really. You've got to make it happen for yourself. But it requires you to be a motivated, a self-motivated person. Because it's, especially when you move to a town like LA or New York or Nashville, and it's, no one wants you to succeed. This town is not friendly. It doesn't say, come on in, we'll give you all the gigs you want. But that's not how it works. This is wow. a... Wow, <laughs> you say that a million times. I'm so glad you said it because a lot of people are not willing to say it. But it's true. It's true. And it's not, it's not be, because anyone's at the same time, like mad at you. No. It's just, they got their own career that they're trying to figure out. And it's hard. It's hard for everybody. But when you start to, to see things happen, it's incredibly rewarding because it's so hard at the same time. It, there's right. a song about it. It's about New York, but if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. <laughs> and it's wow. LA, any, any, it, it's this business really. That, that's, that's another thing of my dream cut crushing sort of thing. Sometimes it's like, Basically, it's impossible. <laughs> if you do it, you've overcome the impossible. But not everybody wants to hear that. <laughs> that is so true, Eric, man. Thank you for being so candid because I'm from New York. I'm a Cuban-Italian New Yorker, and I have that straight, just cut and dry. This is the way it is. And it's hard. Like, I always say it's impossible for me to tell a lie. I can't lie because I'm just so honest. So what would you think of that? I think it sucked. Okay, let's do it again. Right. Uh, what do you think of my sewing? I think it needs improvement. So go back into the shed and, and cut it up. But where am I going with this? The point is... There's also a cultural thing when you come from the East Coast and you come out here, people don't mean what they say here. That really had to take root. It took so long for it to take root in my mind. So if you go to a meeting or a hang here and you meet some people, oh, and you, even if you exchange numbers or email or DMs, whatever, socials, you could reach out to that person and never hear from them. Or you could have a dialogue for a few exchanges and then literally they just fall off. And you, my friend said it best because he's in sales and he can, he comes loves to come out here and hang out. He's like, how the hell does anybody get business done in this industry? He's you people don't fucking return any correspondence. <laughs> he's talking about the industry as a whole. And it's like, he's man, you're an anomaly because you're like really on top of it. And wow, it is so frustrating, isn't it? In that way. 
Yes, definitely. Because I'm from Den. I grew up in Denver, but I was b- born in Poughkeepsie, New York. I've got an East Coast heart. I felt it. I felt it. Yeah, and it's that's the dream crushing nature. I think for people out here who can't they take can't the, handle it, can't handle the honesty. But at the same time, I know a lot of people from the East Coast that come out here, and just because they're so honest, that honesty still is going to get you somewhere. It's still just uh, it's like gravity. You can dress it up however you want. You're still going to fall on your ass. Like it's being honest is still going to work out better, and it's going to get you there faster and it's going to weed through the people that, you know, I don't know. This is coming out so dark. I really love being a musician. Great. And, <laughs> this is great. No, this, but what I, I was going to say was that there's so much delusion in this business. Uh, yeah. And if, because LA is a movie town, really, it used to uh, be a music scene. Now it's not so much. It's a movie town. It's about make-believe. It's about acting. It's about saying you're something and then that makes you that. And uh, but somebody with the skills or the nature that's more honest can cut through a lot of that. And some of these sometimes it a lot of times it works in your favor. Other sometimes if you're too honest to the too delusional, if you have <laughs> somebody who's super delusional up against somebody who's super honest, never going to work. It's never going to work. This is great. No, this is great. And again, this the podcast for me started as a passion project with me and my buddies who were hanging out on the road or in the studio. And I literally just would record conversations like this on my phone. And yeah. Posting them, but I wasn't consistent. But then the pandemic hit and I got consistent. So now we I developed a mission and an education platform because look, I feel like if people like us who have decades experience in the industry if we don't share it with others, where are they going to get it from? Because when you go to music school, you're going to learn all of the theory and all of the technique and all of the engineering stuff that you need. You're not going to learn the real life shit because they don't teach that. For whatever reason, it just doesn't, it's not part of the curriculums. We're not telling people that they shouldn't pursue their dream. No, you should, but we're trying to prepare them as to how they can be best equipped while pursuing those dreams. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to say too about saying that it's impossible. It's not, obviously. And people do it every day. But if you have that idea that this is really hard or impossible, it's going to make it not so surprising when you run into obstacles. And for me, it's these are my delusions that I make up. I also always used to say the best players get the best gigs. And it used to be more true. When you have Omar Hakim on Madonna's gig, there's your thing. And in small town, people look at pop stars and they go, well, I could play that. That's true. But the guy that's on that gig can play circles around you because the best players are going to get the best gigs. That may or may not be true anymore. In fact, I've gone to concerts. It's not true anymore as much as it used to be. However, if you maintain that attitude, you're going to be a better player and it's never going to hurt you to be a better player. So if you keep that, whether it's true or not, it's a good thing to to, it's a good delusion to have. I got to be the best player that I can be so I can be the do the best gigs. On the other side of the spectrum, now it's about the package, which I think is important. You have to look good. You have to have a nice presence. You have to be kind and you have to have some charisma. After all, it's the entertainment business. You still are on stage entertaining. And even if you're in the studio, the end result is entertainment. Yeah, it's about all those things. But I want to talk about this because... You said it yourself, man. You had the Keiko gig 12 years. Dwight Yoakam, how many years did you have that? I was five years on that gig. And then now Chicago. So with again, same here with me. I was with Kirk for eight, Baby for 12. And then I've had quite a bunch of other stuff. The thing here is how to keep a gig. And it's so funny because I've had Adam Blackstone on the podcast and we talked about it. And I heard him again on another podcast the other day and they were asking him, "How do you, what are your secrets to the gig? And he said, don't just get the gig, keep the gig. And this is how, and it's so funny because while Fredo Reyes and I have talked about it, Ray Islas, who's also in the Chicago band with you, another dear friend of mine, he's the one who actually referred me for face. But uh, wow. we all talk about that. It's not just getting the gig. It's that longevity, because without that, there is no sustainability. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. 
the debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, first and foremost, it's not always possible. I've been really lucky. Keiko is very loyal to her band and not every artist is. And loyal to the point where also within that 12 years, I did the high school musical tours. I was out with Corbin Blue for three years in between Keiko gigs. She would allow me to sub out. So that is a very sustainable gig because I was her guy. If I needed to go away for three months, she would let me. That's a rare, it's more and more rare nowadays, but ne- but you also don't have these long, long legacy acts. Dwight, same thing, very true to his band, wants that band on the records. That's not a normal thing necessarily. I've been really lucky. Chicago, when they called me, when Lee Lochnane, the, the trumpet player said, we want you in your band and we want you here for a very long time. And that doesn't always happen. So I think I've gotten lucky, but at the same time, it's not that hard to lose any gig if you're, if you, so in terms of maybe more in line with your question, I think being a good hang is really important because you're on stage for two hours and the rest of the time people have to be around you. And if you don't know how to just be a decent human, it's, and that's, the other part of being honest, I think, too, and not living in this delusion. And I also like to talk about sometimes like people who bring their mythology from their small town or from wherever, like they have this mythology in their head about the music business is like, and they never escape that really, where I was always a guy who I'm a normal dude. I'm almost too normal for the music industry when I'm not here, like now I'm a dad or I'm just going out. I'm having, I don't tell people right off the bat that I'm a musician. I just want to be in the world when I'm not doing this, which makes me look a little more practically at what this is and more business oriented. And I lost my train of thought a little bit, but perfect. Yeah. uh, Keeping the gig, all the things, all the qualities that help. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. You also, you just have to be intuitive with about who's around you too. And artists are tricky because in fact, we haven't talked about it, but I have my own podcast, which I also started during the pandemic because I just had nothing to do. But I've talked about on one of the, I think it was the Lord and Gold episode, we were talking about how to behave around artists. So I did a little thing at the end of that episode about kind of some rules about that and respecting the artist. And for me, I always thought my job is to make them look as great and sound as great as I possibly can. I'm not there for me. I'm not there for my opinions about their music or about their show. If that's my job, sometimes it is your job to to put together a good show for an artist. Great. But they're usually going to have an opinion about it and that needs to be respected. And you have to learn how to work with that and still, and sometimes Artists are crazy. So you also have to work around that. Oh, get out of town. We're the all best crazy. <laughs> exactly. In the best sense of the word. Uh, right. Sometimes, whatever. It's just everybody has their thing and how to work with that and respecting the artists and, and their music and really getting to getting inside of artists' music. There's just no better compliment, I think, to them. Like when I'm out there doing my original gigs and I have a guitar player who shows up knowing all the songs, just that just makes me feel giddy. And be prepared, be over-prepared. When I'm preparing for a gig, I want them to make it sound like I've been playing that gig for 20 years. And with so many gigs I get called for, there's no rehearsal, there's no sound check even sometimes. I, I played a gig with Ambrosia. I played a couple of them, but Ambrosia, if you're not familiar with Ambrosia, they have four massive hits, maybe bigger ones, maybe more than that, but there's the four like big hits that you'll recognize. Other than that, they're a progressive rock band, which I didn't realize because all I knew was their four hits. Right. <laughs> so I said, yes, I'd love to play with Ambrosia. We're talking about like 13, eight, like weird, uh, odd time signatures and hits and just crazy stuff that I had no idea I was getting into. And 
I so we get close to the gig and I get a call from the drummer and he he's hey man we're supposed to do the sound check at two o'clock but the gig's not till seven so we'd really rather just move it back to five or six is that cool and I'm like yeah sure as long as we get a chance to go over a couple of things and he's like yeah we probably won't <laughs> I love that all right here it is the hardest music I've arguably ever played, and I'm just going to show up and play it. And that's what happened with Chicago as well. Luckily, they had a new song that they were working up, so I got a sound check because Chicago never sound checks. And so I was able to go over three or four tunes. Again, it's two hours of complicated music. So anyway, preparation, just can't even harp on it enough. And you'd be surprised at how many people don't show up prepared. And it's to me, it seems like the easiest thing to do in a certain way. It's the thing that you have the most control over. I can, I get to control over how well I know this music to control how well I know this music before I show up. And sometimes you get done with a gig and what did you think when you were in the car yeah. knowing you didn't know this songs and you were going to show up, what did you think was going to happen? Cause here we are. And you don't know the song. Like you're absolutely right. Cause that's literally the one, the only thing that you can control. Cause you can't control flights and ground transpo. You can't control weather. You can't control everybody yeah. else around you, but you can control how well, you know, the yeah. yeah, it's uh, just do it. And that will keep you gigs. It's talking yeah. about sustaining gigs. And it also shows that you care. And the artist is always going to know that it's always going to feel that. And, and most of my career has been with art. And I think that's, and again, like the starstruck thing that I talked about in the beginning, you got to control that. You can't be a fan. You've got to, you've got to be there as a solid soldier or the leader. I, I look at it that way. And some people really want it that way. Some people expect a good soldier, yeah. but again, what you brought up as well, like the look, I don't know if this goes as much to sustaining a gig, but the look and the whole package is really important too. And that took me a long time to, to figure out, and especially with coming from a jazz background where it's all about the playing. Yeah. Just you lead with your playing and have a really good bass and a really good tone and play your ass off. And that's going to get you wherever you go. All the clothing secondary. Yeah, yeah, if you yeah. want to work in the pop world, it's almost the complete opposite. Right. Like you well, need well, to be now, a great player. Yeah. Sorry. But but you need to go down to Melrose and spend a couple thousand dollars on clothes and look the part because it matters. And fashion and music are like synonymous now. Yeah. Yeah. And look the part of the gig you're going to the audition for. Don't show up in your 80s rock garb if you're going to audition for Britney Spears. I don't know. That, maybe that's unless she's doing a metal record, then that might work out. But but that that I didn't take seriously for way too long. And I, I feel like it was the high school musical gig even. I was I went to, I went to Melrose. I spent 1500 bucks and then I showed up and Ricky Minor was the MD and he's like, sure the gig's yours. I, maybe it's the clothes, but it's it, you never know. It's the total package. Look good, sound good. Be cool. He didn't say that, did he? Did Ricky say that? What did he say? Yeah, he said that. It was a weird situation because they had lost a bass player. A Tal Wilkenfeld was the original bass player. Yeah. And she had dropped out for some reason or other. So I literally, this is another interesting story. I told it on the Lauren Gold episode because Lauren had hit me up. He was MD for Taylor Hicks, who was the American Idol guy. He had just won American Idol. And he called me up. He's like, hey, this be a great gig. I'm doing auditions. But it was one of those... Dude, come down. I'm going to put you on this gig. Maybe it's in my mind, but that's what it felt like on the phone. I felt like I had a really good chance of getting this gig. And it would have been my first big pop gig. And, and they were just immediately doing all these TV dates. And it was going to be a big deal. Great. Fine. And Fine. then at eight o'clock the night before, my friend Chad Wright, who's a drummer, amazing drummer, Bruce Hornsby, okay. the Jacksons and everything. He calls me up. He's dude, the bass player just dropped out on this Ricky gig. You're going to audition at 930 in the morning. No, it was like... I was supposed to be there at nine o'clock for Ricky's gig, but I had a 930 audition across the hall at center staging, turns out. So I'm like, okay, great. I'll go and I'll do the Ricky audition and then I'll just go across the hall. Ricky, but the question there was, speaking in how do I be most prepared and make decisions that are good and focus. Okay, I've got four songs to learn for the Taylor Hicks gig. It's the night before. I'm shedding them, but I want them to be great. Chad just brings me three songs from this other thing. Do I take a risk and learn those? And that means I'm going to probably learn these four a little less. Or do I say, Chad, I've already got an audition. I'm going to focus on this and go get this gig. 
And I just decided I'm going to learn seven songs and I'm going to be up until two in the morning and we're just going to make this happen. And especially when someone says Ricky Minor needs a bass player and you're coming in, don't mess around with that. Ricky is Ricky and Lauren is Lauren and he's amazing too. But anyways, so I show up at nine just to, so I learn the songs. I show up at nine. Ricky shows up at nine 25 and I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm getting, Lauren's my friend at the time. So I'm like, I don't want to totally screw him over. Ricky, I play two songs and he's great. You got the gig because they're in rehearsals. And so when I walked in, I was expecting an audition with other guys, but I was the only one that walked in because also Matt Rohde was on the gig. He had recommended me. He's the one that brought me up. And then Chad is my best friend. He's playing drums. So Ricky just needed to know that it didn't suck and everything was going to be fine. But I didn't know that when I walked in and I walk in the guitar tech immediately He's like, oh, you're the new bass player. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm just here to audition. He takes the tape off of the, the direct box that said Tal Wilkenfeld and he puts Eric Baines on it. And I was like, I, seriously, dude, I don't know that I'm the guy. And then Ricky comes in and I play two songs. And he's like, hey man, the gig's yours if you want it. And I was like, oh, great. But here's another one of those times. I'm looking down, looking at my calendar. I've got three months over Christmas. And at the time I'm doing weddings and Christmas parties and stuff completely booked out. Like I'm busy. Wow. Yet this is, you're already a half an hour into a 10 hour rehearsal today. This is no, if you take this gig, this is your next three months. So it was another one of those moments of I'm not going to say no to Ricky and I forget all the casuals and gigs that I can't stand anyways. And that's when your network really comes in handy because you just get on the phone, you start calling all the people who can cover your local gigs, right. slots, say yes to Ricky. And then what did you tell Lauren for the Taylor gig? So I told Ricky after he's cool, I got the gig. I'm like, oh, great, I'll take it. Let me, can I just run across the hall and talk to Lauren really quick? And I go in there, it's chaos everywhere. They're way behind in the schedule. So I was just like, hey man, and Lauren, he's got tons of guys. It's not like I was really sure. screwing him over or anything, but it felt like it in my heart. But anyway, so yeah, so I just was like, hey man, I'm just going to take this gig. And it turns out we were, they were rehearsing for another month. Then they had two months of touring arenas all over the thing, all over the U.S., the Lauren gig was really like six weeks of TV dates. So in the long run, it's Ricky Monitor. I was going to take the bet. I took the better gig. It was going to be more money. And, and then it ended up Taylor Hicks didn't really even tour. Like they did those TV dates and then he was off for a while. We did two months of arenas. Then we went down to South America and did stadiums, which led to me being with Corbin for another three years. So it all ended up great. I met my wife on the tour. So it all ended up good, but it was just another one of those crossroad moments that honestly, you hope to have. Those are good problems to have. Which great, amazing gig do I take? But the thing is that you have to act with diplomacy in all those situations. And I think that's the takeaway. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, you got to think, you got to think practically and you got to, you can't get overwhelmed by the stars in your eyes and, and the, uh, the myths that you might have about this or that it's no, this is a job, which one's better, which is going to benefit you more. And unfortunately that was hard for me too. Cause that's another thing I had to get used to out here is subbing out because that didn't really happen in Denver. You're like in a band and that's your gig. Here's I'm, I've got a $75 gig at a club and this guy just called me for a $300 wedding. This is 22 years ago. The, the clubs still pay less, but the weddings pay a lot more. But anyway, so what are you going to do? And in, in LA, people know that basically. And if they don't, I do have a rule. If I can't sub out, I can't play your gig, which is pretty harsh. But at the, when I first got out here, I just felt so bad. I said I was going to do this gig and now I can't. But it's if you got to send a quality sub and don't play the game of, I don't want to send somebody as good as me because they oh, might steal the gig. No, send the best guy you can because that guy's busy. He's not going to do that gig because he's got better gigs, but he might be available now and he's going to make you look really good. Yeah. That was something I had to get used to a lot too. But that's another thing about playing the game. That's exactly what I did. I had to now rehearse 10 hours a day which on a pop gig means you're sitting around while the dancers block things. But I was, you know. I was just going to say, which means literally hurry up and wait. So bring a good, bring your podcast. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'm on the phone calling subs and trying to get all this work taken care of because the last thing you want to do is just call somebody like, I can't make it. At least uh, usually I'll call somebody and say, I can't make the gig. Here's my subs that I usually use. Do you prefer somebody first? Do you have someone you want to call? Because sometimes they'll just take care of themselves, but it's, but 
I am fully prepared. Uh, uh, during that thing, I was supposed to play this club date with this band. There's like a cover band, like four hours of music. And they had all these crazy arrangements. I literally, another night of staying up till two, three in the morning, charted every single arrangement out just so that somebody could go in and read the gig because it was just too much to learn in two days. You got to go beyond man. That's it. It's like Ricky always say, there's no, there's no, Ricky always says, there's no, what do you say? There's no traffic on the extra mile or something. Yeah, (laughs) that's great. Man, this has been great, Eric. Thank you so much. You've shared some excellent wisdom with our listeners. And again, that's what it's all about. That's why we're here to empower musicians with strategies for a sustainable living. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I always say about that too, is that somebody taught me all this. A lot of it, I learned a lot too, but somebody taught me all this. So it's my job to pass it on. That's right. That's right. And I think we've pieced it together over the years. That's what I always say a little bit here and there. In closing, what do you see for the future? I guess this would be a, a twofold question. What do you see for the future of music? And what do you see for the future of yourself in music? Oh man. <laughs> that's a fun one. <laughs> Huge. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is where I could start to sound really old and stuff as far as the future of music, but I don't know. It's that's it, it, a tricky one. I think that because of the internet and everything, it's going to go back to being a live performing thing. I think tours are where the money is going to be because you can't really, you can't replace that experience of seeing a live band. You can watch it on TV. No one's paying for records anymore and that's all gone, but you still, the tickets are getting more expensive, but at the same time they have to, because it's the only way anyone's making money. But I think the touring situation, which is what I happen to have chosen, I think that's going to go on for a long time. I think people need music there's something different about seeing live musicians. And I think that technology has taken over so much to where someone in 10 years is going to play a guitar on a song and people are going to go, what does that sound? I want that. And it's, it'll cycle back and there'll be more live musicians and there'll be more gigs. I think it always does. So I try not to get too dark about it, but it is playing in Chicago and having to relearn all these early songs and listen to all those early records. It was a little bit like, no, I'm right. Like this music was on the radio and it's really amazing music. Like I don't want to call anybody out, but I'm just saying current pop music is, (laughs) it's barely music. I shouldn't be that dark. I shouldn't say that. It's so simple and it's so non-human anymore and all the auto-tune. It was neat at first, but now you've lost all the nuance and vocals. Part of the a vocalist musicality is those spaces in between those notes, and the and now it's gone. And it's but I think it'll come back. That's what I'm saying. I think it'll cycle back. It's a human thing. People love that sound not because somebody made it up and told them to. It's you hear a human voice and it's natural state, and you react to it because you're a human. So I don't think there's any getting out of that. As far as me, I'm not sure. I'm gonna. I'm going to stay in Chicago's for as long as I possibly can. And and I also produce and I write my own music. You can check it out on Spotify, Eric Baines. I was just going to say, where can we find you? Where can everybody check you out? Yeah, ericbaines.com. The Dive Bar Rockstar Podcast.com is probably more now because I've spent so much more time on that recently. I'm rebuilding my normal site. But Spotify, Apple Music, just... Yeah. Put in my name. I got a few records out and I'm, I think I'm going to put out a new single. I just finished up a mix last night and trying to decide what to do with this song, but I think I'm just going to throw it out there and see what people think. So I'm still trying to put out some new music. And now that I'm in a band, that that's another nice thing about being in a band versus there are fans that are fans of the bass player for Chicago and they're, my records are selling again. So, wow, um, awesome. so it might be an opportunity that I'm going to have to make more music and I want to do that. And yeah. That's, that's awesome, man. I'm going to ride this thing as long as I can. Yes. I <laughs> so people can go see you with the band Chicago. They can get tickets for all the tour dates. That's awesome. And they can check out your music. Once again, man, thank you so much for being here. You've you really wow. brought some tried and true knowledge. Thanks for having me. I love obviously talking about this stuff. <laughs> and I can't wait to have you on my podcast. This is a nice thing. We don't have to do a part two. We'll just keep the conversation going. I'm Eric Baines, and you're listening to The Career Musician with Nomad.
achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.